to offer for you. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead. If you have a if you have a story Bible, and open up to page two o three two o three. If you have a standard Bible this morning, probably the easiest thing to do is to go into First Kings chapter eighteen and settle down there. So if you got a standard Bible, First Kings eighteen, you can settle down there. And uh, or if you have a, a story Bible, we're going to be in page two o three. Back when I was 16 years old, I took my first ever missions trip out of the country, went to the Dominican Republic. Our goal was to share the gospel half a day, and then the other half of the day we worked in a medical warehouse, uh, which, which was hard work, and it was hot, and it was sweaty. It was the Dominican. We had uh, all types of humidity and heat and, and hard work, and, and I want to tell you, you, you just hit the bed each night, and you got in your mosquito net. And you thought to yourself, I, I might not wake up in the morning because that's how uh, hot and, and tiring and, and all of that it was. So we wanted to sleep as long as we could. And of course, when you go on a missions trip, I don't know why they do this. They get you up at the most ungodly hours in the history of humanity. So I don't know what our time that we had to get up was, but it was, it was too early. But somebody didn't get the memo that we were trying to sleep as long as we could. And every morning, one guy in our youth group would get up and he'd say, all right, guys, it's an hour and 15 minutes until breakfast. We're like, why are you doing this? Did you not work as hard as us yesterday? We are going to get up at the eight-minute mark. We are going to take a cold shower, and then we are going to get to work. Why would you do this to us? So like 20 minutes later, 30 minutes later, all of a sudden you'd hear, all right, guys, just warning you, it's 38 minutes till breakfast. We're like, why are you doing this to us? Shut up. We were trying to sleep. We worked really hard yesterday. This is, this is, we need some peace. Don't do it. And then at 15 minutes, all right, guys, it's 15 minutes until breakfast. I'm walking out the door. I'm not warning you again. And the door would close. And then we'd all scream when he, once he left, shut up, Brad. But we didn't want to do it when he was still in the room. Now, Brad might be the most accomplished of anybody in my youth group. I have to be honest with you. Uh, a veteran, he's, he's an Air Force something or other, he's a, he's a doctor, a medical doctor, the guy is incredible, and I hope he watches this because we wanted to kill him for trying to wake us up. <laughs> it's one of those stories that you hope they watch online. We wanted to kill Brad, but Brad was warning us because Brad cared about us. He wasn't trying to lord it over us. He realized, maybe because he knew he was going to be a medical doctor, we needed the beans and the rice and the plantains if we were going to work as hard as we were going to work that, that day. We needed breakfast. Well, about halfway through the missions trip, I did not heed Brad's advice. And I slept right through breakfast. And I was a bitter, bitter man. <laughs> now, I want to tell you, Brad was telling us that because he cared about us, because he loved us. He wanted us to have a good, nutritious breakfast before we went out on the mission field that day. But we hated him for the warning. Don't we often hate people giving us warnings? We do not want anybody telling us that we should maybe think about our actions moving forward, maybe go a different direction, maybe do something different. We as human beings don't like to be told, and we certainly don't like to be warned. But as we move into this chapter 15 of the story, we're going to see a new era in Israelite history. We call it God's messengers or the era of the prophets. And over the course of the next 500 years, God is going to continually send prophets to speak truth to power as we see Elijah speaking with Ahab the king. 
He's going to send people to speak truth to power, to speak truth to the people, to let people know that they maybe need to amend their ways, move in a different direction. And people are not going to want to hear it because people don't like to be warned. But the cool thing about God is God doesn't stop with the warning. He gives us more than a warning. And he gives us things that we should take heed of because he wants to show us exactly what he's trying to do in our lives. And that's what he's going to do through one of the most powerful and important moments in Old Testament history today. The story of Elijah on Mount Carmel versus the prophets of Baal. Now, I have to warn you this morning, I am going to be reading a longer passage than I have read in a church service in months, all right? But the story is so good, I know you're not going to get bored. You're going to be into it. But we're going to be reading for the next three or four minutes, so tune in. If you don't have a Bible or a story Bible, it'll be up on the screen. Or if you really like a tale, you can close your eyes and picture it as I read it to you, all right? All right, so some of you are going to miss this because you're already in 1 Kings 18. We're going to be in 17 and following, and it's a mashup here that the story does for us. So be ready. For those of you in the story Bible, it's going to be easier to follow along. We're going to start in chapter 17 and just read verse 1 and then move on to 18. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab the king, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Skipping down to verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands. You followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word through all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went, with to th- went before the people and he said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. So Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces, put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I'll prepare the other bull. I'll put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I'll call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are many of you. Call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull given them, and they prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. So they danced around the altar they had made. And at noon, Elijah began talking smack. That was my paraphrase. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is God. Perhaps Baal's busy in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come over here to me. So they came to him, and they repaired 
the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it. And it was large enough to hold two sayas of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering in the wood. Do it again, he said. Do it a third time, he ordered. And the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I've done these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And then fire from the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice in the wood, the stones and the soil. It licked up the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let them get away. They seized them, and they were brought down to the Kishon Valley, where they were slaughtered. What a story. I mean, this is on par with the stories of the parting of the Red Sea or the fall of the walls of Jericho. This is an important moment in the history of Israel. And it's easy to look at the characters because the characters are so colorful and vibrant. You've got Ahab, the, the Israelite king, but who's gone the way of the pagans. You've got Jezebel, his Phoenician wife, who is sponsoring all types of pagan activity in the land. You have Elijah, the great man of God, the prophet, who is doing uh, these miracles in the name of the Lord. You have his successor, Elisha, who's going to do great miracles as well to turn people's hearts back to God. It's easy to focus on the characters, but let us be reminded of what the overall story is here. What is God doing? And Elijah reminds them, he says, I, uh, they need to know that you are the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that you have called these people. Remember, these Israelites were supposed to represent the Lord to the world. Now, the Lord, we talked about that in weeks before here in the story. That's, that's the Lord means I am God or, or, or Yahweh God or Jehovah God. I am that I am, existence himself, the God of the Bible. They are supposed to be representing him to the world and his altar is sitting up on Mount Carmel. It's torn down. It's torn down. And the prophet comes before them and says, hey, who are you going to serve, Baal or, or, or the real God, the one true God? They said nothing. So the overall arch of the story is to be reminded that these people have fallen so far from their God-given mission in the world. And that's the reason for the prophets. That's the reason for the warning. God is sending these people into their lives because God warns us when we're headed in the wrong direction. God warns. And all of these prophets in this chapter, Elijah and Elisha, Hosea and Amos, they're going to warn the people. We're going to read it in the next chapter of Isaiah and Jeremiah. They're going to warn the people, you're going the wrong way. You're pursuing the wrong things. Think about what God is and who God is. He's given you life and he's given you existence. And he did that with a purpose. Come back to him. Come back to what he's called you to. Come back to what he's trying to speak to you. This is important. This is important. 
God's still doing us today, maybe not through these type of prophets, but he uses his word and he uses his Holy Spirit in prompting our hearts. He uses pastors, he uses life group leaders, he uses friends to help warn us that we're going in the wrong direction, but we oftentimes don't like that. We as human beings are terrible listeners. We feel like somebody's trying to ruin our fun. Someone's trying to make our life harder. Someone's trying to stand in judgment over us. So we use those arguments. Somebody's trying to ruin my day. Someone just wants my life to stink like theirs. Somebody's just trying to judge me. All the while, we're ignoring a warning that's come from God. It's a dangerous place to be. I hope that you have sat here at some Sunday, if you've been here more than one time or two times, and you've sat here and you've listened to me, I hope there's been a couple of times where you haven't liked me. No, I mean that, because you came back, thank you, some haven't, thank you for coming back, but the idea is, is that I should, in my role as pastor, sometimes warn you and tell you something that you don't want to hear. That, that should happen. If you go to a church and you always hear only the things that you want to hear, God may not be warning you of some things going on in your life that you need to be made aware of. But anytime somebody warns us, there is a, a, a line drawn in the sand in the same way Elijah draws the line in the sand. Who are you going to serve, Israel? And the line in the sand is truth versus pride. God has truth that he's trying to present in our lives. Will our human pride allow us to receive that truth? I don't need you to wake me up and get me to breakfast. I'll wake up myself, thank you very much. I don't need anybody to tell me I'm going to fall. I am not going to fall. Oh, I fell. We have this pride thing going on as human beings. We do not like to be warned or told of anything. And we have to be careful of this. One of the things that, that is marked uh, throughout Scripture, and in fact, it, 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 it says it three times, that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That means if, if, if when we have a warning from God through another person or through his word or by his spirit or in prayer, if we will humble ourselves, we'll experience the good gifts of God, the grace of God. And that's what God's trying to do for his people throughout the history of the prophets. But that's not all he does. God is just not simply in the warning business. God has some other businesses that he's about, and one of the businesses that God is about is to honor our choices. And that's right here in this story. God has honored the choice of Israel. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about how this story began. Elijah walks up to Ahab. He says, Ahab, listen, it's not going to rain anymore. Now, you can look at that and go, well, that's God's punishment for the Israelites going the wrong way. No, that is God honoring Israel's choice. Who was Baal? Baal was the storm god. Baal was the god in the Phoenician uh, uh, pantheon who was supposed to bring rain off the Mediterranean in order to irrigate and bring water to the land of Israel, which is an arid region. They were praying to Baal to bring the water. Who is Asherah? She's the goddess of fertility. Fertility of the field, fertility of the livestock, fertility of the womb. They were looking to Baal and Asherah to bring them rain to meet their needs so that they could acquire wealth. So when Elisha goes to Ahab and says, it's not going to rain, it's just God honoring their choice. They're not seeking the Lord for the rain, they're seeking Baal for the rain. God's simply honoring their choice. 
And as part of God's plan to try to get our attention, he will often honor the choices we make to follow idols. He'll honor the choice to follow our idol for that which we need rather than to follow him. There are all types of idolatries in culture that are, that are good for all time. You know people make idols out of substances. They make idols out of sexuality. They make idols out of food. They make idols out of alcohol. And we've seen people who make a full idol out of those things, and that's really the thing that they live for, and it takes them down a path that they don't want to go. God honors their choice to center their lives around those things. But each one of us has an idolatrous tendency. Each one of us has the opportunity to put our happiness in the hands of something that isn't God. We all have something that we live for. It's either God or it's not. How long will we go between two opinions? And it doesn't necessarily have to be the big ones like alcohol and sex. And It can be other things. Some of you right here today, you are newsaholics. You start your day with the news. You ride in your car with the news. You listen to the news at noon. You click on your website 42 times a day, and you end with the news. And what are you getting? Well, you're getting the 24-hour cycle of horribleness, the horrible things that are going on in the world that will make people continue to watch the train wreck that is this world. And you wonder why you're angry and anxious and fearful. Because you've entrusted your life to something that isn't God, but it's the center of your world. Some of us are social media-aholics. You have checked your phone 47 times since you got in the building this morning. Now, I'm not offended by that. That doesn't bother me, but it is a problem. Because as you do that, you're comparing your, lives to other, your life to other people. You're looking at what other people are doing. Or maybe you're trying to present yourself as something that you're not, and you can't keep up with that anymore. And we're wondering why people today are more anxious and depressed than they've ever been before in human history. Because they just can't keep up with the Joneses. In our parents' and grandparents' generations, we just wanted a nicer car as our neighbor. Now we want their whole life because of social media. Now you say, Pastor Matt, you know how you said that there'd be things that you'd say one day that I don't like? You're saying it right now. I live for Fox News. You know who you are. I live for Twitter and Instagram and all those things. I live for them. Isn't that the problem? Because what God does is he'll send somebody to warn you, it might even be me, who goes, listen, do you really want to trust Baal for the rain? You don't want to trust Baal for the rain. One last time, don't trust Baal for the rain. All right. God will honor your choice, and you will get Baal's best. Baal's best is always a drought. And whatever it is that you center your life around that is not God will always lead you to a drought. It will. It will. We stand here on Mother's Day. Moms, let me speak to you a word of encouragement today. You are awesome. I could never be a mom. I lack maternal instincts and the biology to be a mother. But I want to tell you today, moms, and I'm giving, you, I'm giving you a good warning today. Sometimes your kids 
and their world can become your idol. And if you're not centered around God, but your kids and their activities are, is what drives you, you will get their, that idol's best. You will get Baal's best, and it'll leave you in a place of drought. It will. You say, Pastor Matt, I did not tell you about my life. How did you know that? If I'm reading your mail, it's because God's the postman, all right? And he dropped it in my box. This is what God does. He warns us, and he tells us, and he reiterates to us when we're going the wrong way. But he doesn't stop there. God warns. God will honor the choices. He'll honor the, the desire for the drought. But God will also demonstrate. And that's what God does here on Mount Carmel. He demonstrates his awesome power on a grand scale for the people who were supposed to be his people. For the tens of thousands, the hundreds of thousands of Israelites who were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom he was meant to bless the world, he needs to show them something on a grand scale to remind them of who he is. And Elijah goes ahead and he stacks the odds in the other God's favor. There's 850 of them, one of me. Our intern Davis this week showed me this. He showed me that, that Elijah lets them pick the bull. Because in the ancient world, theoretically, the better sacrifice would have brought more favor from God. So he goes, pick your own bull. I'll take whatever's left over. He covers that thing. He lets them go first. He covers that thing in water. He is going to demonstrate that God is God. And no one else is. He stacks the odds against him. And then he says, listen, God, I'm not doing this because I'm awesome. I'm not doing this because I'm the awesome man of God who everybody needs to aspire to. Well, they're all going to want to be Elijah. He says, I'm doing this because you commanded to prove that you are the Lord. He's doing this to prove that you are the Lord. And God demonstrates his power by bringing that fire. He demonstrates his power on a grandiose scale. And I want to tell you today, God is still in the demonstrating business. He still does it. He still does it. God still demonstrates who he is in our lives. He makes it a point to do so because he is in relentless pursuit of us. I was sitting with some buddies the other night. We were watching the second round and third round of the NFL draft, and it was pretty boring. And the next thing you know, me and my four buddies, we start talking about the Lord. We start talking about God. And at the end of about a half an hour conversation, all four of us had shared how God had done a miracle in our life. One of us shared about how they had had a huge medical issue and it just disappeared after prayer. One of us talked about how a relationship was so incredibly broken that there was no hope for it, but God repaired it. One of us talked about how there was a loss of income and all of a sudden, God provided income. One of us talked about just needing to see that he was real and God demonstrating that through his spirit. And at the end of all of us sharing our testimonies, I looked at the guys and I said, you know what, isn't it interesting that God demonstrated his love and his power to us in exactly the way that we needed it? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I guess that's right. One guy's like, yeah, fist bump, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor, it's easy, right? I talk for a living, I get these ideas together, I have a chance to formulate it, but it's true. 
God is speaking to you. He's trying to demonstrate to you right where you're at today. If you'll only look, if you'll only recognize, if you'll only acknowledge, yes, God can still do miracles. Yes, God can still speak things to us through people who had no idea that's what we were facing. God can still do things in our lives to prove his goodness to us, to provide for us, to look after us that we couldn't have done for ourselves. God is still in the business of demonstrating himself to human beings if we'll only lift our eyes. If we'll only lift our eyes. So he doesn't just warn. He doesn't just honor our choices. He does demonstrate that he is who he says he is. You say, well, I need God to demonstrate to me in a miracle of my choosing. I need God to do exactly what I tell him to do, and then I'll believe. And I'll never turn my back on him. If he can just do something big enough or grandiose enough in exactly the way I tell him, then I'll follow him all of my days. Would you? Do you think anybody left Mount Carmel that day and went back to praying to Baal and Asherah? They did. They did. And I, I suppose if an angel of the Lord stood before us today in splendor and majesty and stood right here in front of this altar and said to all of us, listen to Matt, he's telling you the truth. By the time we hit the car, most of us would have chosen to disbelieve it. You see, we are beings who live in the natural, and very oftentimes it's hard for us to receive the supernatural for what it is. And the problem is not that we need God to do the miracle that we need him to do. That would not seal the deal for our relationship with God. Something else has already been demonstrated that can seal the deal for your relationship with God forever and a day. The Bible says this, that God demonstrated his love to us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He has already given us the greatest and most important demonstration of who he is and his power and his love that we could ever receive if we are willing to receive it and acknowledge it. You know the reason God did all of this at Mount Carmel? Because his desire is to bless. The end of this story of Isaiah at Mount Carmel is not that the slaughtering of the prophets of Baal and these people who have been leading Israel away from the one true God in heinous fashion. It's not that at all. In fact, if you read on, what ends up happening is he sends everybody home and Elijah kneels down to pray. Seven times he prays. And the seventh time he says to his servant, I want you to go look out over the Mediterranean. What do you see? And he says, I see a cloud as if a hand is coming up. He said, good. He says, run on ahead to Ahab. Tell me better hurry home or he's going to get caught in the storm. Run ahead to Ahab. God's demonstrated who he is. And for those who have received him, he's going to bring the rain. Go tell Ahab, he better get home quick. God demonstrates to bless. 
God proves himself because he is in relentless pursuit of human beings and he wants to bless you. He warns you to bless you. He honors your choices to bless you. And he even demonstrates himself in order to bless you. God's aim and the story that we have been reading for 15 weeks and will for 16 more is going to be about God's relentless pursuit of human beings because he created us to be with us. He created us for us to live this life with him, which is an astounding blessing. And he created us that we might live with him for eternity, which to me is an unfathomable blessing. He wants to give us eternal life and to live with us forevermore. So what are we going to do with his warnings? What are we going to do with undue suffering as a a result of our choices? What are we going to do with these times that we're like, oh God, you might just be real, and you might just care about me. What are we going to do with those? Are we going to stay silent? But the people said nothing. Or are we going to look at the greatest demonstration of God's relentless pursuit of us, the cross of Jesus Christ, and say, I will receive all that you have for me, God. I'll heed your warning. I'll put away my idols. I'll recognize you for what you're doing in my life today. And I'll receive the blessing of salvation. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, what you did on Mount Carmel, you are doing daily. You're warning. You're giving us the fruit of our choices. You are allowing us to experience the good that the world has so that you can say, I have something better. God, you're demonstrating. You send people into our lives, moments into our lives, provision into our lives, miracles into our lives, all with the intent of drawing us to you so that you can bless us. As long as we will lay down our pride and receive. But God demonstrated his love for you in this. That while you were still a sinner, while you were still separated from him, while you were still at odds with him, while you were still bowing down to the gifts he's given rather than bowing down to the giver, while you were still living this life and and centering your life around created things rather than honoring the creator, Christ died for you. And he died for me. This is the greatest message that could ever be received, the greatest story that could ever be told, and it is true today. God is pursuing you. He's trying to lift your eyes. Some of you are in this place today, and you've been in hot pursuit of some idols. You know who God is, you know the one true God, but you've been in hot pursuit of created things and not the creator, of worldly or American ideals, but not a worldview informed by God. And I tell you today, for the next few minutes, it's time to get your heart aligned with the Lord again and say, God, I want to come after you. You've pursued me, now I want to pursue you. 
I take your warning. I lay down my pride. I want your grace and your good gifts in my life. I won't pursue this stuff anymore the way I pursued it. It's not evil. It's just that you are great and you are good and you are wonderful. And I'll center my life around you again. That's an important choice some of you need to make today. I don't know who, but you certainly do. And there may be a few of you in here today who have never made the choice to receive the blessing of God. You've never, ever placed your life in his hands. You've been going your own way. And if that's you today, and you know in your spirit, in your internal person, that God is trying to capture your heart. Don't ignore him today. Don't ignore him. Instead today, instead today, receive. Receive what he has for you. If today you're in this place and you've heard about Jesus, you've heard people sing about Jesus, you've heard people talk about what the Son of God has meant in their life, but you have never, ever placed your life in his hands, why don't you do it today? Why don't you do it today? Maybe you're receiving this as a warning. Maybe you're receiving this because getting the fruit of your life's choices. Maybe you've seen a demonstration that God is real. Whatever is drawing you today, don't ignore it. Today's the day to place your life in his hands. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, if today you want to put your life in his hands for the first time, you take the bold step of just standing right where you're at, saying, God, I'm going to place my life in your hands today. So many of us have already taken this step. We've said, I'm going to place my life in the hands of the one true God. I'm not going to run my own life anymore. I'm going to receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Sometimes the best thing that you can do if you've been wavering between two opinions, just as those people in Israel is to take a big step towards God and say, today, I'm going to do that. Is there anyone today who would make a choice for the Lord? Would you stand? I'm going to make a choice to serve Jesus Christ today. I'm putting away the idols in my life. I'm not going to waver between two opinions. Today's the day. Today's the day. I'm going to wait for just a moment. By you standing does not mean that someone's going to descend upon you and make you uncomfortable. This is between you and the Lord. Anyone today who needs to make that decision? house today there are others of you who know you've got an idol to put away 
God's been warning, God's been demonstrating. God's been allowing you to get Baal's best. It's time to put something away and make him the center again. If that's you today, would you stand and declare that to him today? Take that step right now. Say, God, I'm putting it away for you. Who else this morning is putting away some idols? There's people all over this room that decision. I'm putting away some idols. I'm coming hard after you, God. You've pursued me. I'm going to pursue you. I don't care if you've been a Christian for a million years or a millisecond. I'm coming after you, God. God loves a humble heart. It takes a lot of humility to stand up in a church service. It's scary. What if somebody sees you? What if the pastor notices? God loves a humble heart. He's going to honor that today. has no rival today. He has no equal. He is the one true God. Death couldn't hold him. He's purchased eternal life for you. Anybody else today? This isn't for my ego. You're not standing for me. This is between you and him. We're only lingering here because I feel like we're supposed to. Anyone else today? There's a tug of war going on in your heart. bowed and every eye closed. I'm going to pray two prayers today. You keep them closed, but I'm going to pray first over those who are giving their life to Christ for the first time, and then I'm going to pray over those who have stood in the second wave who are praying to put things away. But would you just agree in prayer with me? God, I pray for the people in this room right now who are done wavering between two opinions. They've tasted and seen what the world has to offer, and they're beginning to understand that Christ is better that Jesus is more, that God is real, and that he has a hope and a future for their life. God, I pray right in this moment they would put their lives in your hands. I pray right this moment they would confess any idols or sin or wrongdoing in their life, and they would say, God, make me clean. I'm not perfect, but I know you are, and I know your son died for me. Just say that to him in your own words right now. I'm giving you my heart, Lord Jesus. who you're speaking to today who are ready to refocus and recenter around you who are heeding your warnings who are wanting you once again to demonstrate in their life just who you are God I pray that you would make yourself so real in this moment you already are what a humble thing to stand before the Lord 
to say, God, I confess and I want to return. I want to turn my heart back to you. I want you to have all of me. I don't want the gifts to have me. I want the giver to have me. I don't want the created thing to have me. I want the creator to have my heart. God, I pray that you would honor this choice today. I pray that your grace would flow into the lives of the people who are making this decision today. I pray that they would see you for exactly who you are and they would never, ever be the same. God, give them your best. Bring the rain through these men and women today. Bring the rain. You may be seated. God, at the end of the story today, the people reminded themselves that the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And for a moment in Israel, it was remembered that God has no rival and he has no equal. There is none like him and only the creator of the universe has the power to save. Before we leave this place today, let us join with their chorus. Let us sing those words and remind ourselves exactly who the God